listening to CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting live from unceded Musqueam and Coast Salish territory here on UBC campus in Vancouver, BC, real world. Um, we are UBC Film Society's radio show and we're connecting with other clubs on campus. <laughs> um, but today um, we'll be talking about animation and we have a special guest here with us today. Hi. Um, um, my name is Michael Stringer. I'm the head of academic events uh, for the Undergraduate Film Studies Association, so UFSA, and I'm also one of the co-producers for UFSA's podcast. Cool. And to remind us who the rest of us are. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, I, I'm Augustine, um, Compop's co Computer Operations at Film Society. I'm Alex. I'm the bookings manager at FilmSoc. And I'm Jen, the productions manager at UBC Film Society. Um, just We have Beer Garden today, just before I forget <laughs> to promote that. Um, I don't remember what room it's in. It's, yeah, it's in a room, and we're playing The Big Lebowski. It's an annual, it's become an annual thing um, since like 2015. 15, yeah. 2015, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and Check yes. out Facebook. So check, check out, out Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Um, we're doing stuff today. And, <laughs> yeah. and we have one last screening next week. That's for the right, term. yeah. Yeah, Wednesday. Um, Wednesday, yeah. yeah. Okay, so to... It's actually a double screening, yeah. It's a double screening, yeah. 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 Um, check out Facebook. Again, I don't <laughs> quite remember what we're showing, but... Um, yeah, it's a weekly thing we do, and we're still continuing it next semester, so keep an eye out for that. Um, so today, we're going to be talking about animation, and specifically, we decided to do things a little bit differently this time, and we decided to all watch the same film. So <laughs> that way, we're all on the same page. <laughs> um, but I really, really like this one. So we, we watched Anomalisa. By Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. From 2015. <laughs> Duke Johnson right. is the animator. Mm. Um, and uh, also just one of our, an, a, a second movie of our choosing or whatever we had watched before that is animated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I didn't, did any of you hear about this movie bef before we? Did? Yes. Yeah. Just because of the Academy Award stuff. Yeah. Same. Same. I just knew the Charlie Kaufman animated movie, but that was it. Like, I had the poster in my head. but I just, yeah, same. And I just knew that it was kind of weird. Like, I heard about that, but, like, I didn't really know how, right? Mm -hmm. um, how weird it was. <laughs> but, uh... Maybe also, I think, when you see, like, a poster, at least for an animated film, sometimes I just assume it's for kids. Mm. Yeah. Even though, <laughs> I guess, in the I knew that this wasn't necessarily, like the same level of Pixar or something like that. But, um, yeah, I just never even really thought about watching it. Or yeah. I didn't take it seriously or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think that's a... Well, with animation, just, like, the way... I don't know, I guess, like, Disney and Pixar have a monopoly over mainstream animation. And, like, that's non-rated R material or non-adult yeah. content is usually the first thing that pops into your head. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, when I was trying to think of, like a second animated movie to bring up in relation to this one. I was like thinking of everything I'd seen and yeah, it was all just kid stuff. So it was really yeah. hard to find like something that would be comparable with a Charlie Kaufman animated movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But, um, I was reading this other thing about anim well, it was more specifically had to do with like Disney animated films and how and why like, you know, films that are made for children are so popular. Um, like yeah. Inside Out and yeah. Wreck-It Ralph yeah. up. Um, and that's because just, well, they have the resources to afford it, but also just like the amount of work and storyboarding, like pre-production work that goes into it, as opposed to like um, live action stuff, especially like big blockbusters where they're working on sets and productions before they actually finish the script, just because it takes so long yeah. to do that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, just they're able to refine the story more, which is why it ends up being so like well-rounded. Yeah. Because like 
I don't really understand what you said. Because you said uh, the reason we see uh, animation in big productions is because they can refine things? Well, they just have, well, because it's so, yeah, I should explain. They, <laughs> um, they have, like, more resources to go. No, because it's so expensive to animate, mm -hmm. more is at stake when they oh. mess up. Um, while they're animating. So before they even start to like fully animate something, they they will um, do a lot more pre-production yeah. work and storyboarding and like rough little animations before they actually do the real thing. And so by going through all these like iterations um, of making it before they make the mm. actual thing, they're just able to develop the story better and you end up feeling, you know, it's still very cheesy and like it's for kids. So um, it's like there's always like a lesson or moral to it that is explicitly stated but mm -hmm. the way it's told and the way it unfolds it's always a lot more like cohesive and less plot holes yeah like disney is such a mm -hmm. like storytelling machine that yeah. like, they, they polish things so much in that process that you're talking about that they have like yeah. so much time to go over things and like make sure everything is perfectly smoothed out mm -hmm. and the story is well told yeah. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's interesting too that uh, anomalisa would not be like a 3d animated movie but like a stop motion animated movie yeah. you know like it's mm -hmm. not doesn't look like other animated movies we're used to yeah um, yeah and the stop motion was really weird very <laughs> like yeah. staggered yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and the way it they draw attention to it yeah. too right and it seems to like shift and change a little bit or at least i thought it did like the faces by the end of it like the top and lower half started changing a bit and i felt like the top half of the face started I looking a little bit have more to real explain that well, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, so like in with the animation, um, the like faces are segmented. So like the bottom half of the face is like a different part than the top half of the face. Yeah, so yeah. you can see these weird little lines. I thought they were glasses. They look like masks yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so the top half where the eyes were, I found like started changing by the end of the movie and started looking a little bit more real or a little bit more like mm. actual live action on top of the model. Just yeah. at key moments, it, it was it was very strange. Yeah, I don't know if that was just like my brain yeah, getting used to it, or <laughs> like they actually did something yeah. to affect mm. it. Yeah, because at first, my other impression of it was that when it first began, um, and I was like getting used to the way it looked. Um, I was, uh, and, and it also opens really slowly. Like it starts with yeah. a lot of small talk, and it's all like a very slow, dry process at first yeah, he's like in his hotel room for like half an hour yeah and so <laughs> i was like oh my god and, and so the just the plot like it didn't give way for any sort of um expression or like yeah. interesting things to happen so at first i was like oh they're totally gonna mess up like showing any human expression or yeah. emotive things in this because like just the first 30 minutes like yeah. you said like yeah. there's just nothing i'm like okay this sad is guy. yeah sad guy so that was yeah guy, so. yeah the way it looked um and i was like but this, hmm. it's also interesting that you know you, you have to get used to it so you don't really like notice at first that everyone else has right. the same face yeah, like we should yeah. mention it <laughs> yeah we should but i feel like you know i think if you know that that's the case at the beginning you right. immediately see yeah. it right yeah. But I felt like since you're like, oh, I don't know what's the real with with these animation, these faces, mm -hmm. you can't really perceive it at first, perceive that they all have the same face. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so just to explain, basically, the yeah. movie has two characters, um, Michael and Lisa. And then mm -hmm. everyone else in the movie has the exact same animated face and the exact same voice. But uh, Michael and Lisa are have like unique voices and unique faces so that's just where the confusion comes in you don't notice that at first yeah yeah, yeah. i was thinking about what you you wrote about um the affordances of the medium <laughs> like i think because yeah. it's stop motion animation i almost just assumed that everyone had the same faces because that was like an easier way to produce it yeah. or that they didn't have to create as many models mm. and that would just be how it was and have nothing to do with the plot, you know? Yeah. But in, it actually was very deliberate and purposeful. Mm. Yeah. And even even the fact that it's disturbing that the faces are cut in half is, yeah, used as a plot thing. And I felt, you know, at the beginning, you, you really feel like this guy is unable to connect with anyone. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this idea, because I was, at the beginning, I was like, 
it's interesting that you need to use animations to show these things, right? Because they're very, you're very like they're very mundane things to show. Going to a hotel, taking a taxi, uh, it's stuff we've seen in other movies many times, right? And I felt that maybe uh, using animation and this weird distance we have with it kind of illustrates the inability of Michael to connect with anyone, you know. Yeah, and the like the animation is also like a lot of it is very real or like presented in a very realistic way, but just enough off of being real to make it uncomfortable. Like it's not full on caricature and like super strange animation. It's just slightly different enough to be uh, strange, but like it's still just a hotel room and it's still scenes that are traditionally lit like mm -hmm. a regular movie, but everything is just off ever so slightly and it makes it more uncomfortable <laughs> yeah yeah i was reading something that mentioned that like um they were telling uh i forget who mm, the producer or the director um that 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 it looked too weird like when they first 3d printed the um oh. uh the mo the animated characters like they're like i i think it's gonna be like it's too real, but like not real enough, yeah. so that it's gonna look like really disorienting and like in this like weird uncanny valley. Mm, yeah. But um, yeah, I think it play it works and serves the film and the plot really well. Like you're slightly uncomfortable yeah. throughout mm -hmm. the entire yeah. thing. Even just with the faces, with everyone's faces being the same, but like having different costumes and wigs and having the yeah. same guy voice yeah, yeah. men and women and indiscriminately like mm -hmm. his wife and his child have the same voice <laughs> it's just really yeah. weird yeah yeah <laughs> i think and the the other thing for me at least um personally for for this film like it was the first stop motion animated film i seen that was depicting um humans and like reality in a way that wasn't stylized in mm. any way um so that for me seeing that the way it was shown was very like oh Especially in this one scene where he's like nude, it's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, we're going there. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it was really interesting for me in that respect because like other ones I'd seen like Coraline and like uh, like yeah. that's a very like it's more cartoony, very cartoony. Right? And then so this was just like the the you know really trying and reaching and grasping that. Like, and they still act like humans. Like yeah. I feel like yeah. in Coraline, it's it's, I guess stylized like you said. Yeah. But they don't feel the same kind of like rawness I felt watching Anomalisa mm. like yeah. when mm -hmm. um Michael and Lisa and the other girl Emily they come up and then Michael asks Lisa to go to his room and they're walking down the hallway that yeah. like awkwardness and that tension yeah. and she like trips and he comes to help <laughs> her up yeah it's so yeah. much more like grounded in reality yeah it just it felt like something it. I yeah. would see in in a live action movie that yeah. kind of tension and embarrassment yeah. which is amazing that you can do that in animation mm -hmm. that just awkward tension between two people not talking yeah. coming through in animation and then the like moment where he's trying to like get into his hotel room and the key doesn't yeah, and the work, key doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> and he has to do it over and over <laughs> and it's just like yeah there's like very real little moments that make it less cartoony i guess mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think i i'm not sure again like after a while like it just kind of was lost on me as you get like more and more immersed in it but i'm not like i'm not i'm mm, i'm not too sure how much the voice like which one had served the film more whether it was like the animation and the expressions that came from it because like i mentioned I, I was like oh they're totally going to fall with like human expressions and i'm not sure if i just got used to it or or if the voices and the um voice acting helped more towards it and also the soundtrack was really really nicely done so i'm not sure which one had like more I feel like I don't even remember what the soundtrack was. Yeah, me I, neither. I don't I, remember hearing music. <laughs> <laughs> there was that's one sad. point where... I don't remember the singing of... The, the, oh, the yeah, that's all, all, I, all, all, all I remember. Yeah. yeah, or like sound effects or like which one served the film more. But, mm. um, but yeah. It, yeah, it's interesting too. Like, so since they have, they also have the same voice, like, I think you really um, sympathize with Michael when mm. you do hear another voice, right? Mm -hmm. And especially, um, I didn't recognize the voice, but Alex, you were telling me that the um, it's uh, Jason uh, Jennifer, Jason, Jennifer Jason Lee, who plays that character, right? And 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 it's a very recognizable voice. And so when you hear it, immediately you're like, oh, it's a different voice, and I know that voice, you know. And that mm -hmm. familiarity 
it immediately mm. kind of settles in, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, it's kind of what Michael is looking for, like something to connect to, something to be familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, and but like I also find that we do identify with Michael when he, we hear this new voice and uh, like we've just been hearing the same other voice the whole time. But there's also something kind of monstrous about oh, yeah. his character and oh, like definitely. the way the movie <laughs> builds is like yeah. set up to make him monstrous. Like yeah, yeah. he doesn't have to have a wife and kid to have this affair, like to find this moment. And he doesn't mm -hmm. have to like the person who has the voice doesn't have to be someone who's so damaged that he would be like damaging her further by just eventually abandoning her by the end. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I've noticed in like a lot of Kaufman movies the like universe thing like the the film itself is built in a way to make the main male character like really horrible but we identify with them anyway yeah and there's a weird no. tension i think it's an understanding because yeah. it is shown through their perspective yeah. that it's like okay i yeah like it really builds the background and the history of the character yeah. and and that leads towards you like okay understanding like yeah. why you ter they're terrible or something yeah. and then and then you kind of see it manifest um, in his interactions, and then you're like, uh, and then you still understand, but yeah. then you're, you're but you like you don't know how to feel. You're like, the whole yeah, way. It just adds mm. to the the, the strangeness but of the movie. Also, like, um, I think it's interesting to compare it to other Kaufman uh, written movies because I think, uh, you know, I agree that there's this monstrosity, but by the end, like when you look at adaptation or spot, uh, Eternal Spot Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or even the, John Malkovich. Yeah. That um, was the one I was thinking mostly about. Yeah, but <laughs> like at the, at, at the end, you know, the, he's yeah. not monstrous anymore. Like he kind of recognized. They all kind of yeah. do that, right? Recognize how much they their view of the world led them to be very resentful of everything, right? But here, in Anna Melissa, it doesn't. Yeah. Like he is trapped in his own mind. Uh, yeah. I think also the like. I don't know, the monstrosity of it in other movies is a bit more absurd. Like, uh, the one I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of being John Malkovich and, like, when he puts his, literally puts his girlfriend in a cage <laughs> and leaves her. And, like, the whole movie is so absurd um, that it, it, it has that kind of strange tension about it. But this movie is absurd in, like, such a minor way that yeah. the tension is, yeah, and it doesn't have that moment of, like, realization. Or yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't know. It's just things that are noticed and it, it just plays with how like how you identify with these characters but also see them as kind of terrible mm -hmm. and <laughs> manages to straddle that line the whole time in in very strange ways yeah and i think he because you you're very with michael right um and then when you start understanding that all he wants is to hear her voice and yeah. he's like i'll listen to you right and yeah. she's like very grateful <laughs> for that but he doesn't really care what she says yeah. and in the yeah. end like which is kind of horrible which is very yeah. horrible and 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 then you know when they have sex he's like can you talk during sex <laughs> and she's like i don't know should i moan and he's like that's fine too yeah. Yeah. and like well no because if you really care about what what she's you know what she's saying yeah and and then and then so you kind of get that weirdness and then the next day where he i think he's very trapped and afraid to for her to become like the others but since he af he's afraid of that he notices everything everything that he doesn't like and he gets for me it's a trap right trapped into that way of thinking obsessing over the fact that other people are Gonna, unable he's yeah. unable to connect with other people and that's yeah. bound to happen and so yeah. it does happen you know yeah. and but it's his own construction because at the end of course we see that she has her own voice and her friend does too and yeah me and jen were talking about whether his ex bella if she was ever like would look different than other people or had a different voice yeah. and we just don't know and then she became you know like the other characters but when you see them having dinner and she she they're both saying like oh we both thought that what we had was special but then he just mysteriously leaves with no kind of warning in the same way yeah. that he leaves Lisa. That makes it, yeah, yeah, more about relationships and like how 
how are you talking about if you idealize someone or idolize somebody and then that perspective shifts once you see things that bother you or annoy you or whatever you know you're they kind of drop off of that pedestal and then maybe they kind of just become like everybody else everyone else and you're like okay well i know it's just that like obviously yeah for him it's like taken to extreme of like yeah having these like um really bad hallucinations about people (laughs) really actually looking at them and lisa lisa's a lot I realized just now that she's v- super similar to Bella. You know, they're both very um, self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. Insecure. And have, yeah, yeah, like, no confidence. And I think he kind of abuses that and manipulates that yeah. Yeah. to get what he wants. Or his his praise and, like, all the compliments he gives puts them in a position that they're willing to do whatever what he, for him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's Which a lot makes him even yeah. worse because right. I'm, I'm sure that he's aware of it and what he's doing. And also, yeah, and also I think as an audience we're very complicit in that we're forced into being complicit in that because we actually see that everyone else is the same right Mm -hmm. it's not even though we know that you know that's a a a way that he's saying we're very much in that and so for a lot of moments you're like fuck everyone's the same everyone (laughs) loves them whatever and you're like oh sorry (laughs) okay um yeah yeah there's a lot to explore and i realize (laughs) that we um, we'll go more into the plot of what actually happens <laughs> after the break that we're going to take right now. Um, and we'll be right back. Allow me to show you something.
Karen Discorder. What's that? Um, it's a radio station. You can review all the music that comes in and help out with touring bands or just do some data entry to get started in their music department. Oh, cool. Yeah, you can just email volunteer at citr.ca and they can help you get into the station or just come in whenever. Well, I'll be there, so... on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, yeah, so we're talking about Anomalisa, the animation, um, and we are going to continue our discussion, which I realized we didn't really go into the plot of. Um, and that was... <laughs> it's a thin plot. Though. It's a thin, yeah, true, true, it's true. It's like true. a guy in a hotel Middle-aged guy is sad. Classic yeah. story. Um... So a bit of background. So this guy, Michael, he is like middle aged, um, and wrote a book about customer service. <laughs> um He's giving he, a speech in Cincinnati, Ohio yeah, for one day. In the Midwest somewhere. No, that's not the Midwest. It's kind of east, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's haunted well, at first it's it's very mundane and he's like haunted by this past lover that lives in the city that he just keeps thinking about throughout. Um, and he has, what is the exact name of it? Fergoli Delusion, um, which yeah, is also the, the name, name of the hotel he's staying yeah. at. And so this, it's, it's and I, I didn't know about this before. I, I feel like we can't assume that that's what he has, though. Like, that might yeah. be a connection they're trying to make, but I don't think they're saying, like, this person that's physically true. has yeah. this. I mean, he does say that, that, he does say several times that there's something wrong with him. It might but be a concoction more, I, yeah, of like, like several yeah. different things more as open well. To inter- interpretation. Yeah. That's yeah. not like a medical diagnosis of yeah, something. Yeah, it's never been stated. That I think they're just like this. kind of throwing out these ties yeah. for us to make. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, as we've been talking about, there's like a billion ways to read how like what he, he reacts has. to things. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's the name of the hotel as well. And he um, and basically every character um other than him and this other woman lisa um they all have the same face and the same voice and they're all played by the same actor um and so what else happens after that so he yeah he he meets lisa he meets two women he meets lisa and um emily her, emily and he is immediately and emily um, lisa has a different voice so he's immediately like oh wow like Drawn someone that, yeah. yeah someone with a different voice um, and he's immediately like totally enamored by her and like invites her back to his room and she's like a very insecure character. Um, and prior to that, he had met up, well, mm, I forgot to mention this. He met up with his past lover yeah. and who he also invited back to his room and she's like very offended. She's like, what are you doing? Um, and she leaves. Um, and again, she has like the same voice as everyone else. But when he meets Lisa, um, He's immediately uh, very attracted to her and her voice specifically, um, and then and then the ni- the morning after, um, after he, well, has he has this like nightmare. very yeah. intense nightmare, <laughs> which uh, in the nightmare he's like he finds that everyone's trying to tear him away from Lisa and everyone loves him, um, but they all look the same, and he's very very freaked out by this um and so when he wakes up he like is telling lisa okay we have to like um i'm gonna leave my wife and child and we're gonna move in together in la and you know it's just gonna be me and you against the world kind of thing um and then and then she's like yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) i'm so willing (laughs) and she's like a very insecure character um someone who's like you know constantly belittling herself throughout the Mm. movie um talking about like uh, how everyone likes emily um and she's not very smart or very pretty and um constantly verbalizing these very negative things about herself um and he's like this voice of reassurance of like yeah no you're you're gorgeous and she's constantly like um complimenting him um and then and then what happens she starts when she's talking she's hitting her fork against her teeth while she's eating and chewing on her mouth full. And he gets very aggressive very quickly. Like, can you stop doing that? Can you not do that? And then slowly her voice starts 
morphing with the voice that's played by all the other characters so that yeah tom noonan's voice or whatever um but her voice and that voice start like becoming one and her face is kind of shifting a little bit in Mm. as like the sunlight's coming through the window um i think he's yeah he's having the realization you know that she's just like it might not be what he thought Yeah. yeah and okay in that moment though i like despite what michael was meant the michael that's here yeah (laughs) what he was mentioning about like um what you were mentioning about you depicting him as this monster and like seeing all these negative sides about him especially um when he's just very much idolizing and fetishizing in a way um of lisa's voice um despite that like in that moment when her voice starts distorting like i was getting really nervous and i was like not like please change back like please be <laughs> that one yeah. different voice and mm-hmm. like um you know despite him being who he is i was still very much like on his side of like wanting them to be together yeah. which was an odd which i didn't think i would feel but yeah and I, what really shocked me during that conversation at the end was that she asked him about his wife and his child and he's just like you're being very controlling right now and while he's like very annoyed by everything uh she does and and being extremely um you know micro controlling whatever and and he has this unawareness of doing that and then that's a moment where i think we become very aware of that but he's still in that and that's a moment where we completely split with michael i feel Mm -hmm. um but it's a very strange and like harsh moment yeah yeah. I was also thinking about um, for the voice and his prior um, love. I, uh, he when he he decides so he's in since he's in the same city as in Cincinnati. Uh, he's like okay, I should call her, and he's very surprised by her voice. He right, he doesn't yeah. recognize her because uh, yeah. she has the voice of everyone, and we can assume, I guess, that. When he used to be fond of her, um, she had another voice, right? Mm. Um, also, she was she was saying, oh, "I've put on weight. You might not recognize me." Yeah. Like she acknowledges that she looks different from when he knew her, and yeah. she he didn't recognize her when she came into the bar of the hotel. Remember, uh, yeah. another woman came in, and he was kind of following her. But then yeah. Bella came in, and he was like, "Oh, yeah." So it's possible that she used to be different also yeah yeah like when um lisa starts changing her voice and her face start changing that's also when i was wondering whether or not bella had been a unique person too and then Mm -hmm. that's why he just ran away because she changed all of a sudden um and that's just something that he does um but Mm. yeah now like looking back at it and finding all of those like clues that he didn't recognize her at first or he didn't recognize her voice kind of like adds to that well and then the decision to keep lisa's voice well actually i don't i don't remember if emily okay um going back to the plot sorry so (laughs) after that he he goes to the conference and he has like a breakdown when he's giving a presentation (laughs) and he goes into like um talking about the american government and like how he's super depressed and like nothing he has no one to talk to he has no one to talk to he wants to cry but he can't um and all these things and and it kind of um it, it doesn't show that much audience reaction but like you can hear voices mm-hmm. of people talking and then in the end then he's seen um going back home and he's brought this like japanese animatronic sex toy for, <laughs> for his son um and he's his, like 10 who's like 10 <laughs> and his wife has thrown him a surprise party and he's like very like apathetic about everything he's like i don't recognize anyone um, what are these people doing here? And then, um, and then it cuts to Lisa and Emily driving back home from the conference. And um, this was the point I wanted to make. <laughs> um, and Lisa's voice is still this like it's different, which yeah, I'm not. Too, yeah, the decision she looks different again. Yeah, yeah, so I'm not. And Emily also looks different. Emily also yeah. looks. Emily didn't talk in that scene, did she? No, no she no. just like looks over. Yeah, so you don't hear if her voice is. But we can assume if she looks different that yeah. she That's, probably yeah, has yeah, like, yeah. a distinct identity at this point. So it, like, makes you wonder if it's just, you know, 
uh, Michael, the way he's seeing people, he's only seeing people looking the same way and sounding the same way, but when they're off on their own in the real world, they actually are the people that they are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He just can't access it. And I think that's um, part of, like, uh, the movie drawing attention to itself being a movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Because this question of perspective, right, of who's looking at what, uh, if it's Michael that looking that's looking at things, he's gonna see everyone. Or, or if you know, if it wasn't him and just the movie being itself, we'd see other people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and there's this whole these whole parts, especially at the beginning of the movie, where nothing happens. We just hear voices, and then someone says, "Oh, there's a plane," yeah. and we see a plane. <laughs> uh, but in fact, it's like there it's a voices inside a plane. But there's this conflation with the spectators and voices around and that yeah. speech even though we don't see the audience it's kind of like we are the audience i feel like yeah, yeah. seeing this movie in a theater uh, has a d- very different mm. um experience um but i feel like there's this idea that michael is a character you know mm. um and and we're looking at into his life mm. um uh and into what he does and when for example when uh he has his nightmare, and uh, he meets up with this uh, manager or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And <coughs> he's like, I know you had an affair. Yeah. Michael's like, how How do you know? There's like a giant hole in yeah. the middle <laughs> of his office, <laughs> which, yeah, sorry. I just wanted to bring that up before I forget. <laughs> but uh, I'll finish with that. But like, he knows that he has an affair, and we don't know why. Yeah. But it feels like everyone just looking into this guy's life. Mm. Like it's very self-involved, though. Yeah. You know that the manager is like, "Oh, we all love you. I oh, love yeah. you." And I'm like, "Who dreams about that? Yeah. You know no, that no, everyone in the world time, like, is obsessed with you." <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and he horrible. Hates it. And he's like, <laughs> so "But I'm like, weird. what? Like, what drives you to that thought that like yeah. everyone's after you and everyone is like obsessed with you?" I guess it, it's but a like, certain yeah. type of paranoia. It's not but necessarily yeah, narcissism. Like, yeah, I'm wondering. Sorry. No, but like also that the movie does move between whether or not he is like mentally ill or if he mm-hmm. has problems or not and when he wakes up from the dream his reaction is so clearly like a paranoid schizophrenic reaction to things like he's just grabbing his stuff wants to run away and he's grabbing Lisa yeah. to come with him and she's like oh you're hurting me and he's just having a complete mental breakdown yeah. it would yeah. appear and then he comes back and he has the speech so it like straddles this line of like whether or not he's just insanely in love with someone or if he's just insane <laughs> it's, it's yeah it never yeah. spells it out. But, but what I meant to say, too, is that um, we kind of are these people who love Michael, you know, by just watching the movie, you know, watching his story, you know. But I don't So th- that felt kind of weird to be in that position, too. I don't know and if I love it, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Not, not I don't love, love him. Not but. love, but like, yeah, for me, like I was saying with that scene of like relate wanting at least his voice to turn back to normal mm. for yeah. him because I was like, oh my God, I don't want him to like eat despite, you know, being married and having a kid <laughs> and like going through all these things. Like I, I would still want him to like be with her because it seems to be the only thing that's grounding him. And as like me watching Michael, like I want that him yeah. to be okay. And then, you, then yeah. you're getting aware that he doesn't give a shit about her. And so. Yeah. Yeah. But also that like weird paranoia about how everyone else looks at you and that uh, just uncomfortableness with other people is something that's like in all of Charlie Kaufman's <laughs> yeah. movies. He just like seems to be very uncomfortable with the rest <laughs> of the world. And that's what he puts into all of his like screenplays and movies. So it does come back to like being John Malkovich or adaptation. Yeah, like the the idea like when you like hear people in a group laughing that they're laughing, yeah, they're at, laughing you, at you <laughs> but like taken to the, to the extreme, extreme. <laughs> yeah um yeah was there any okay okay one thing i also want to point out before we move on um so i mentioned the japanese animatronic so it happens at the beginning and at the end like it reappears so what does i don't understand i don't understand no, why yeah, it was no, put I'm, in yeah. there <laughs> i don't know if it was trying to highlight Oh, him like idealizing Lisa and that voice, or like they are all animatronics. Yeah, they are, she yeah. Turns into it is like a yeah a robot. Like at the end, you just see it, and you're it's not like sure what it is. It's like half robot, half. And you can, like, I mean, her half flesh. of her face yeah. is missing, which you draw connections half. to, yeah. like him losing half of his face. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. also like um, 
part of her face that's not missing is damaged at the same area that Lisa has a, a I don't know, a scar. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, okay. So yeah. there yeah. seems to be a lot of like things to like, draw connections to, but I haven't it's like, made sense of it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like why is it? Well, it also sings, and Lisa sang. That's true. Girls yeah. just want to have yeah. fun. Damn. And it sings in a voice that is not like everyone else's. Yeah, yeah, like that's a woman's true. Voice. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. the connection it's, there, yeah. folks. I don't know. Write an but essay on it. It's <laughs> also interesting that the song that, so girls just want to have fun. Um, like she says that she's very drawn by the line, uh, I want to be the one to walk in the sun. And that's the line that follows uh, the fact that like boys want to control girls. Hmm. I don't exactly know the line. Well, and then, and also, as you pointed out, like when her face starts changing, yeah. it's like it's when the sun is on yeah. her, on her like face. very bright. Yeah, yeah. Making and great connections. And <laughs> she, she, she says, "I probably don't look good in the sun. Like yeah. I, you can probably see all my flaws." Oh, what she yeah, said yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And and Michael is <laughs> your being very controlling of her. Yeah, at that moment. And she's in the sun, yeah. and she's walking, and she's kind of being herself, and he doesn't like that. <gasps> yeah. You know? Well, good movie, good movie. Um, okay, well, with okay, we're gonna take a break, and then in like the <laughs> last few minutes we have left, um, we're gonna briefly talk about the other movies that the four of us watched. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
back. And we're back. Um, CITR 101.9 FM. You're listening to the real world. Um, so with like 10 minutes left, we've decided that we're just going to keep talking about Anomaly so for a little <laughs> bit. And then we'll tell you about the amazing other animated films that you should check out because animation is especially fun. yeah it's fun um not just for kids and there's a lot of great like mature content out there that's in animation well, even even kids animation is even nice kids animation is pretty good but i think just like broadening yeah, the yeah. you know content of it is pretty cool um okay what okay we we made a we we did some research um <laughs> that yes, we had a break <laughs> alex the investigator um so what 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 did we find um, so all of us were kind of wondering what the meaning of the, the Japanese sex doll was in the film. Um, Michael, he goes to this toy store thinking it's like an actual toy store, like to get something for his son. Um, but then he realizes that it's sex toys. But the only thing he buys from there is this antique Japanese sex doll. And then we were just talking about how from that scene it cuts in a really quick transition mm-hmm. back to his hotel room and he's taking a shower and then after that is when he meets lisa when he hears her voice is right when he gets out of the shower um so a lot of the theories that we were reading were drawing connections between the doll and lisa and the possibility that lisa is just imagined yeah and it's just michael's kind of like manifestation of the doll in his search for something somebody different someone to love and i mean there's like and then in the end the doll shows up again with like being given to the kid and it it it, there is fluids (laughs) fluids that come out of the doll that that wouldn't have been there otherwise yeah (laughs) i mean if it's an antique that was sitting in a shop beforehand there's really only one place it could have come from oh my god um yeah well the other thing um that we were like, oh, it could be this or it could be that was like the idea that um, Lisa and Emily do show up again in the end and they both have like their own faces and yeah. um, Lisa has her, you know, very distinct voice once again and she's like writing a letter to Michael. Which like, I, I think it's not a, the whole doll reading is not like a strict reading. Not right? a strict reading, yeah. but it's like, like more like yeah. a parallel between yeah. Lisa and what she represents and mm-hmm. how she's used by Michael and... Yeah. Stuff like that, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, and also the point about the language. Sorry. Um, oh, yeah. Jap- oh, yeah. Lisa yeah. mentions that she's really interested in Japanese. And yeah. the doll and her both have the same scarring. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And Anomalisa means um, goddess, goddess, of heaven. Of heaven. goddess of heaven. and. But, like, when she's reading, she's writing the letter in the end. Lisa's writing the letter. It's very, you know, she's like, oh, I hope we meet again someday. Like, I don't know if that's a rational reaction from someone in that situation. So that almost makes me believe that it's Michael's imagined version of what he wants to happen, you know, that yeah. that he hopes he'll meet someone again who is different and unique and... Yeah, and, she's, he, yeah. and she's also just writing a letter the same way that uh, his other ex Bella. Had, written, yeah. Yeah. Bella had written him a letter, mm-hmm. which is just a weird thing to do to an ex, just write a letter. <laughs> so it seems like he's pulling things from his actual life to like bring into this fantasy. Yeah, and compared to Bella's letter, which was really harsh, yeah. you know, she was like, you destroyed me, blah, 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 blah. Lisa's letter is like a sharp contrast where she's like, oh, our time was really special. Yeah. I hope I see you again. So that's, I feel like that's very much more indicative yeah. of his hopes and his desires rather than her feelings as a person, if she is a person. Especially yeah. as... <laughs> If you look at the parallel with the doll, since he gave it to gave it to his son, he can't use it anymore. But what I meant to say also is that um, he has a weird, really um, weird relationship with letters, right? Because like even the letter from his ex, uh, it's like they haven't seen each other in eleven years, and he still has the letter, it, yeah. and it haunts him, literally, right? Because there's this apparition of yeah. of his ex. So I feel like he kind of like keeps in a very yeah fetishizing way again like he's a mm-hmm. fetishist of keeping these letters uh, as like signals of what had been you know and yeah but also if like the whole because we were drawing parallels with how he acted towards bella and how he's acting towards lisa being very similar but in his fantasy world he hasn't hurt lisa at all mm-hmm. she's totally fine with it so maybe yeah. it's just a way of 
in his mind making everything that went wrong with Bella right in his fantasy yeah. world. And he gets a nice letter instead of a mean letter and you know yeah. everything's okay Redoing he just the redoes history. everything mm-hmm. in his mind. Because he, he really has no remorse for what happened with Bella. Yeah. You know when they have a drink and she said can you try to explain what happened and he was like I no. have pride. I, I have can't. problems. Exactly. None of it is <laughs> is like re- taking any kind of responsibility or anything mm. for what happened. He and already he's just trying to manipulate her again, you know, trying to get her to his yeah. room and whatever. Um, I don't know. He doesn't have good intentions and he can't see himself. There's no self-awareness of the damage that he does to other people. Yeah. Yeah, and it's after the bad meeting with Bella that he goes to the toy shop mm-hmm. and then this potential fantasy happens mm-hmm. um, shortly, right, shortly after like that whole situation gets brought up again yeah so maybe his his rejection and his lack of resolution with that is just kind of the catalyst for this entire imagined affair (laughs) (laughs) where he isn't the bad guy (laughs) that's like the whole like oh it was just a dream thing at the end of movies you know that gives me the same feeling but but also it's interesting that even though that's kind of resolved this weird affair it's still very wrong like he's still very not happy with his family and he feels stuck in that which is like it seems to be that he resolves things in in his fantasies, right? Like, right. And like then, that's his way still, of like, like having that's how he gets through his uh-huh. horrible life that he doesn't like. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so sad. Oh my god, <laughs> he's a very sad character. <laughs> Just uh, like very emblematic of like problematic. Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> midlife crisis, but like really extreme. Um, okay. We want to we... just shout out our oh, yeah, other yeah. films. Yes. Okay. Uh, other film I watched uh, before on the plane, Breadwinner. Breadwinner. I watched Breadwinner. That was really, um, it's a really good film. I. It's a really long thing to get into, but um, I highly suggest that everyone watch it. Yeah. Um, I would have talked about Akira, which mm. I just saw for the first time a couple weeks ago. That's a very mature animated film, I think. <laughs> like, I wasn't really ready for the amount of violence and stuff. But it's very cool to watch considering it's made in the 80s. Um, but I feel like it's still very relevant and timely right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like anybody could get into that. When does it um, When does it takes, take place? I can't remember the 2019. All oh, right. Yeah. Next year. <laughs> um, uh, I watched uh, Waking Life, uh, Richard Linklater's animated movie. Um, just Or at least I brought it up when I was trying to connect it to this movie because it's also... It's very mature and it has animation that kind of is awkward between um, being very realistic and being very caricaturistic. And it moves between like dreams and reality the same way this movie kind of moves between insanity and maybe fantasies Mm -hmm. uh, and reality. So I thought it was Mm -hmm. a pretty good movie too. And I would have talked about uh, The Girl Without Hands uh, made by uh, Sebastian Sebastian Lodenbach. And it's a... it's kind of mature. Um, it's based on a, a, count of a fairy tale of the Grimm brothers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's animated in a very peculiar way where the shapes are kind of shapeless. Like they move from one thing to another. Uh, it, nothing is really contained. Um, it's very fluid and very organic. And I, I like it a lot. Okay, thank you for tuning in for this episode of The Real World on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, And we will maybe have a show next week. (laughs) 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 We're not uh, sure yet, but uh, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye. Bye. So you're a member of CITR and Discorder, but are you a true friend? Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts around downtown at Little Sisters Book and Art Emporium, Sikora's Classical Records, The Cinematech, Final Records, and The Fall Tattooing.
The Crane Library is looking for student volunteers to record textbooks for those who cannot use print at the university. If you are a UBC student who is computer literate with an ability to read university material aloud and you have a willingness to learn new techniques, we ask for a two-hour commitment once a week. For additional information and to set up an edition, call 604-822-6114 or email crane.volunteer at ubc.edu.